Good morning. Man, it's so good to be together. So good to be together. It's cold outside. It's warm in here. God's people are here. It's good to be together. Uh, welcome to Next Community Church, especially if, if you're a guest or a visitor. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're honored that you're here. My name's Joe, one of the pastors here, and we want to say um, we're honored that you've come. And if there's a way that we can connect with you, help you, bless you, serve you, uh, would you let us know? We'd love to do that. That's why we're here as a church. And uh, I want to welcome those of you joining us online as well. Um, thank you for joining us, and we pray that you would be safe, and we pray you'd be back with us again soon. And so we continue on here in week three of our series called The Story, where we are journeying through the greatest story ever told, about the greatest book ever written, about the greatest person ever. And uh, we said last week we're introducing a new segment. We're going to do it every week to start off our time together. So I'm going to invite Robert Dunner to come on up. Each week we're going to share, have one of you come and share about what God has done in your life through the Word of God and you, the Bible in you. So uh, Robert, please share with us how God's Word has impacted your yeah. life, bud. Thanks, Joe. Good morning. So uh, my journey with the Bible started in my early 20s. Uh, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, we did not have the Word of God uh, to guide us. Um, but I always had an early age a, a heart for truth and uh, to search for meaning. Um, college, I went to college. I studied philosophy and history and uh, through those studies, I, I grew to hate Christians. Um, they were so sure about truth and what they knew, and it was founded in Scripture. Uh, my senior year, I uh, set out to prove the Bible wrong, and I wrote my senior thesis uh, to refute the Bible. Um, ten years after that, I'd, I spent a decade refuting Christians. I built a, a library of why you shouldn't be a Christian. And uh, uh, at 32, um, God gave me a vision. He, he gave me a waking dream. Um, it was vivid. It was powerful. Um, and it woke me up. Uh, the next day, uh, I felt convicted by, by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God um, to read the Word of God. And uh, I did that. And I, I remember the Holy Spirit putting on my heart, I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit then, but it's the Holy Spirit put on my heart just to receive. Um, not to challenge, not to question, but just to receive and to take it by faith, even though I didn't believe it or have faith in it. And, and I did that. Jesus said, those who have ears, let them hear. I read all of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation in two weeks. Um, I, I didn't understand it, um, but I learned the character of God and the story of God and of my nature, and the nature of the world around me. And, and that began my journey. Uh, I didn't come to Christ. It, two weeks reading, I, I received Christ immediately, accepted him into my heart. My wife followed shortly after. And uh, I didn't get emotional in that. <laughs> I'm looking at her. He changed our family forever. Yep. And uh, so... Uh, I feed upon this, this book, this word, Christ, daily. It goes with me everywhere. It's fallen into the tub multiple times. It has sawdust in it, oil on it. Um, but uh, Jesus said he's the manna from heaven. And, and, and we are spiritually malnourished if we're not taking it in daily. So. Mm, awesome. Thanks, yep. Ralph. Thank you. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Tell me... Uh, you look like a philosophy major, number one, all right? <laughs> Please. 
All you need is your pipe up here and you'll be fine. <laughs> um, tell me that the word of God is not real and active and powerful to take someone who's an atheist and proving the Bible wrong and, it, and just by reading it, it changed his life to the fact that where his wife came to know Christ and his kids and now he leads community groups and now he's an elder in this church. Tell me God's word is not real and powerful. Everything that you need to know about God and life is found in this book. It is the greatest resource that we ever could have, the word of God. And so that's why we launched into this seven-part series so that we can understand it. And there's this barrier that kind of prevents people from opening it up and seeking to read it because it's confusing or it's been changed and there's all these different ideas out there as to why we don't pick it up. And so we're doing this series to help refute those ideas so that you can understand it, so that you can um, trust that it is literally God's word to God's people. And so um, we introduced a 30,000-foot view of, of the Bible last week. We're going to take the next couple of weeks to continue to journey through that. Um, I proved that a dummy can use a smart board, and the smart board really is good. And so we're going to pick right up where we left off last week and make sure this is the right size. Can you all see that? Is that all right? See it out there? Okay. Um, get your books out. If you don't have a book, um, we want you to get a book that we're going to follow along for the next five weeks. Um, if you're going to run out of timeline pages, and you're like, oh, no, I'm not, don't worry. We're going to put more timeline pages out there next week, all right? So you'll have a line paper that will match your other line, and all of you OCD people, you're going to be okay, all right? And so um, I, I, I want last week, um, last week we kind of left off with the story of, 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 of Jacob and, and having 12 sons. And I, I want to pick up where we left off. I want to go back just a little bit because um, I, I want you to make sure that you, you understand the main players in, in the way that God is working now is, remember the first 11 chapters, God was working through the world and eventually the world tried to reach God through this tower and God said, uh-uh, scattered their their people through scattering their language. And now God's, I'm going to work through a person. And I'm going to make for myself a people for myself that I will bless and, and that I will then reach the world through this people. And so it, it's, I don't want to get, get lost in all the, the nonsense that's up here. So I want you to make sure that you understand that God is starting with Abraham, who then had his son Isaac, who then had a son Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, and this is right where we left off, and the 11th one was Joseph. And these are called the, the patriarchs of, of the Bible. The patriarchs, he, uh, when you're reading Bible, sometimes they talk about, no, the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They're, they're kind of the big three, but, but really with Joseph is the, the big four. The story of God moves through this line. This is actually the line that Jesus is going to come from. The Savior, Messiah, is going to come from this line. And I wanted to go back, and I, I, I want you to see something about Isaac. We, uh, we talked about how in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there is this thing called a type, a, a type of Christ, which is basically a, 
a symbol or a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of what's to come of Jesus in the New Testament. And I said they're scattered all throughout the Old Testament. And I gave you one of Noah last week. There's another one with Noah um, that, that Jesus and John, I think it's John chapter 7, I forgot to look, but in, 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 I think it's John 7 where Jesus talks about being the door and the sheep come into the, his pen and Jesus is the door and salvation is found through him. He's the door. He calls himself the door. And, and another foreshadowing, a type of Christ, is, is that God provided salvation for Noah and his family when they came through the door of the ark. That's what ended up saving them. And so as they entered through the door, in the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the door, and that salvation is found in him alone. So th- again, all throughout the Old Testament. I want to give you a big one, and it has to do with Isaac. Isaac was, was the son of the promise. Remember, uh, Abraham took matters into his own hands. Um, he went and was with Hagar and had Ishmael, and that wasn't the way God wanted to done. And so God, 14 years later, gave him Isaac. And then sometime after that, God tested Abraham. And I want, I want to read this together because I want you to see if this doesn't sound familiar, Okay. Um, again, some types of Christ are very obvious. Some of them are a little bit more hidden. I think this is an obvious one. It's found in Genesis 22, where God tests Abraham. And here's what he says. Genesis 22, verse 2. Take your son, he said, your only son. That should be a little bit of a siren going off. Right? Does that sound familiar? Take your son, your only son. That sounds like something I know in the New Testament, right? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, if you know the story, God eventually ends up stopping Abraham from sacrificing his son. But this is a clear foreshadowing of another father who in the New Testament would take his son, his only son, And he would be laid on the wood that would be an offering up on a hill, Calvary's hill, the hill of Golgotha. And and, and only this father would not stop from sacrificing his son, right? And so Isaac, a a clear type of Christ of foreshadowing the, the New Testament. And so they're scattered all throughout. You'll see them as we continue to go through the story, right? And so uh, Isaac then has twins, Jacob and Esau. God ends up working through the line of Jacob. Jacob has um, a, a 12 sons, and one of them is Joseph. But Jacob ends up having a wrestling match with God, and God ends up, we, we read the passage in the middle of worship here, where God changes his name from Jacob Okay, and uh, let's see if I can remember how to do this. I want to do that. I want to do that. Okay, changes his name from Jacob to now Israel. And he has, Israel has 12 sons, which are going to end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. This is how the nation of Israel is going to be born and spread out. And, and so I want to come back and I want you to see this. Uh, He changes his name. Genesis chapter 35, verse 11 says this. This is the verse I read earlier to you. God said to him, I am God Almighty, right? I already changed his name. Be fruitful and multiply. We're going to make a nation out of you. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you. Kings will descend from you. This is important. Verse 12. I will give to you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, and I will give the land to your future descendants. And this is important. 
We talked about how when God made the promise to Abraham, he made a promise about three things. That he's going to give him specific land, he's going to make a nation out of him, and he's going to bless him. And this idea of a land, you want to know why there's so many fights in the Middle East? One of the main things is over who's proper, with the property lines. And, 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 and Israel, because God, at least 20 different verses in the Old Testament, God gives specific boundaries of what the land is going to be. And, and so let me see. Now we're going to really test the extent of this smart board and see if we can do this and do this. Please work. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Okay. And so do you guys see that okay out there? Okay. This is, the, this is the dimensions of the land that are given God to Abraham for his people. He says, you're going to have from the river in Egypt, this is the Nile River, okay? By the way, this is currently the, the space that Israel occupies, okay? About the size of New Jersey, the whole nation. Uh, he says, all the way up to the Euphrates River. This line covers the Euphrates River. Now, it doesn't really give a southern, a southern border dimension, but, um, so, and, and scholars debate over where the line of Israel is. Some want to put it in here somewhere. But either way, wherever it is, you, you see that the land that Israel was promised by God is not the land that they inherit right now. And so, um, so, I mean, currently they would have this as part of Egypt, and then you, you have uh, Syria, and you have Lebanon up here, and over here is Jordan, right? Uh, Iraq, part of Iraq. So, so you want to know why there's, there's so much opportunity for fights in the Middle East, okay? And so the story now, let me see if I can undo all this scribble. Cool. Okay, so um, the story now is going to move down to Egypt, okay? Um, Jacob ends up not being the greatest father, had favorites with his 12 boys, favored Joseph, gave him a special coat. The other brothers get jealous, take Joseph, beat him up, throw him in a pit, leave him for dead. A bunch of caravan traders come by. They're like, let's sell our brother, pull him out of the pit, sell him to these traders who are on their way heading down to Egypt. And so Joseph gets carried down to Egypt, but God's hand is with him. And so he moves from, from being in prison. God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh has a dream. And then God ends up giving him an audience with Pharaoh, interpreting the dream. And the dream was this. There's going to be seven good years of crops and seven bad years of crops. And Joseph says, listen, guys, during the seven good years of crops, store up, put them in the barn, store up, store up, because seven bad years are coming. And wouldn't you know it happened just like God said it was going to happen. And so now there's no food up here in Israel. And so in order to get food, the Israelites need to come down here to Egypt to get food because that's the only place that there's food. And that's kind of how the story moves along. So let me see if I can get rid of this and get rid of this. All right, and I'm going to just leave it right there, okay? So, um, so the story of Joseph then moves the story of God down to Egypt. And the people of God end up down in Egypt, Scripture says, for 430 years. They're down in Egypt because there's no food, so they get enslaved. And they end up having to, 
to, to work for their food. And, 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 and Pharaoh is, is enslaving all these Egyptian, or excuse me, these Israelites. And, uh, and these are God's chosen people, not in God's chosen land. And now they're enslaved down here. And it says that they cried out to God. And the book of Exodus now starts. And, and the book of Exodus tells the story of the people of God exiting out of Egypt. That's where Exodus comes from. The people of God exiting out. And God raises up a deliverer. And his name is Charlton Heston, right? His name is, his name is Moses. And God is going to use Moses, another type of Christ, another one that would be a deliverer of God's people. God is going to use Moses to lead the people out. Pharaoh is stubborn. God says, here's what we're going to do, Moses. I'm going to send whammy after whammy after whammy. Ten plagues I'm going to drop on them. Boils and blood, water to blood and frogs and, and all these things. The final one is going to be, I'm going to take the life of every firstborn son of every Egyptian. And Moses, here's what you're going to do. I want you to tell the people of this, the Israelites that are all living down there, here's what I want you to tell them to do. I want you to tell them to sacrifice a lamb. I want them to take the blood of the lamb, and I want them to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost of their house so that then when the destroyer comes at midnight and is going to take the life of all of the Egyptian firstborn sons, he will pass over the houses of the Israelites. And the Jewish people today still celebrate this very special occasion, the Passover, another type of Christ, another picture of, of a future lamb of God that would shed his blood. And unless you have the lamb's blood over your life, that, that is the way that salvation comes to you through not experiencing the judgment of God, but experiencing God's mercy and grace because the blood of the lamb is over the doorpost of your life, right? And so that happens, great weeping and, and mourning in, in Egypt, Pharaoh says, get out and go. And Moses takes, it says in scripture in Exodus, there's 600,000 men. So you just do a little bit of simple math. 600,000 men, there's probably at least 600,000 women and all their kids. The women and the kids aren't counted. So you have at least 2 million people, probably more than 2 million people. Moses starts to lead them back to the promised land. All right? So this happens in about 1446 BC. We know that because in 1 Kings chapter 6, it talks about Solomon and the reign of Solomon happening 480 years after the Exodus. So you can just go back and you come up with 1446 is when this Exodus happens. And, and so um, let me, I want to get rid of the church. Remember we did that last week. That's going to show up later. Now let me see if I can do number two here. Let's see. All right. Let me make this big enough that you can see this. Can you all see that? Okay. Um, you all didn't know you were in next Bible college, did you? All right? Class, class is in session here. Okay, so, so here they are. This is going to be the, the map of the Exodus, right? The, the book of Exodus tells this story. And so they leave, they, it says specifically there in Ramses, they leave there 
Come here. Here is the famous crossing of the Red Sea where God through Moses splits the Red Sea. The Israelites go by. Pharaoh changes his mind, looks around. There's no bricks being made. Go get those Israelites back. They go after them. And then all of a sudden, the waters close in and Pharaoh's army is destroyed. And so the people of God keep wandering down here. Come down here. And I don't know if you can see it here. Can you see that says Mount Sinai? Something kind of important happened on Mount Sinai. Anybody know what happened there? That's where Moses got the Ten Commandments, right? And so they're out, and, and, and they're being led to come eventually back up here to the Promised Land. And, and, and so God's going to give them instructions on how to live. And so he gives them the law. And he's going to give them guidelines. Like, listen, here's rules. you got two million people. How do, how do you live? What's the great? And, and so also then up comes a second book of the Bible uh, that, or, or excuse me, the third book of the Bible that, um, let me move this over here, is going to show up. And that is going to be the book of Leviticus. The book that stops everybody in their tracks when they're trying to read through the Bible in the January, like, we're going to do it, and then you hit Leviticus, and you're just like, and you're just like, this book's too weird, right? Why? Because what God is doing is giving God's people ways to be different than everybody else, ways to be clean, ways to be holy, ways to live that's going to be good for you. You need rules and laws and boundaries. This is the right way to live. And so um, God, gives, um, God gives Abraham the Ten Commandments down here on Mount Sinai. Nobody knows exactly where Mount Sinai is. Uh, archaeologists want to argue, oh, it's this mountaintop. No, it's this mountaintop. They don't know exactly which one it is. Um, God goes with his people Moses sets up this portable tabernacle, this tent, and God's presence dwells in this tent. And so Moses goes in to meet with God, and as they go, he pack up the tent, and, 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 and God goes with them. Another foreshadowing of something to come in the New Testament. There's no tabernacle today. There's not even anything special about this building, right? We think, oh, this is God's place. No, no, it's not. There's nothing special about the building today because God doesn't tabernacle in a place. You know where God now tabernacles in the New Testament? What's the Bible say? In us. And so there's a tabernacle here and there and there and there. And everywhere, everywhere you go, God's spirit now lives within you. So there's no longer a need to have a special place that you have to go to meet with God. Everywhere you go, God tabernacles with you and goes with you. And so, not the case back then. And so, uh, God's tabernacle would go with them. And then they come up here to this place called Kadesh Barnea. And Moses says, here's what we're going to do. God has given us the promised land. We're going to go. I want you to go in and check it out. And he sends 12 spies in to check it out. After all, they've been gone 430 years. So people have started moving in to town, right? And they've taken over God's place, and it's not God's people. So they send in 12 spies to check it out, and they come back, and 10 of them go, we can't do this. There's no way. We, they're, they're, they're huge. They're so fortified. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. There's no way we can do this. And then two guys of those 12 come back and be like, yes, we can. Their name is Joshua and Caleb. God said it. We can do this. We can take this. And the people of God listened to the 10 
the majority, instead of listening to the two, the minority, and they said, uh, we're out. We don't think we can do this. And God said, you're not going to do this? And they're like, no, we don't think we can do this. And God said, okay, take a lap. And that's what ended up happening. They ended up taking a 40-year lap around the wilderness. Why were they in the wilderness 40 years? God said, not one of my people who saw my hand, who saw the miracles in Egypt, who saw the crossing of the Red Sea, who were with me down here, who saw the law, who experienced manna from heaven. Every day, you're out in the desert. I've been to Israel twice. It's a blessing to go. If you can ever go, go. You're out here. Let me tell you what's out here. You know what's out here? Nothing. It is, it is desert out here. And it's like, how are we going to eat? And, and so God provided this bread from heaven. It's called, the Hebrew word is manna. You know what manna means? What is it? That's literally what it means. And so every day they'd get up and what is it came down from heaven. And, and, and that's what they ate. And, and then like, you're in the desert. How do you drink? And God told Moses, I want you to speak to this rock. And then Moses spoke to the rock, and water started gushing out of this rock. And that's how they ate, and that's how they drank. And so God provided for them. And so all of the people that saw all of God's provision, these are the people that said, no, we can't do it. It's, it's too big. And God said, fine, take a lap. You're not going in. And the next generation will go in. And they took a 40-year lap, and they had to wait until every person of that first generation died off so the next generation could go in. God takes obedience seriously. And so, let's do this, let me do this, let me move this, let me do this, let me move this. <clears throat> so then comes the book of Deuteronomy. Where's my uh, French people? What does dupe mean? Two. Deuteronomy means second law, the second law. Deuteronomy is God reminding the people of the law again. Why? Well, because the older generation is all dying off. And so now it's him speaking to the next generation being like, you got to remember this. And you gotta so it's giving the law again. So the book of Deuteronomy is that. It's giving the law again, right? And so now here they are. They're wandering around. The, genera the, the generation is, is dying off. They're done. Moses one day gets so mad with the people. I mean, two million people. These people, they were so, they said things like this. Why did you bring us out here? We liked it better as slaves in Egypt. We should go back. I mean, Moses was telling God, wipe them out. And God's like, no, Moses, they're your people. And Moses like, they ain't my people, they're your people. And, and so Moses was so done. And one day in a fit of anger in front of the people, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock with his staff. And God said to Moses, you're not going in. And because of an act of, this is my opinion, God holds leaders, I think it's an Old Testament principle, a New Testament principle, influence very seriously. Because of an act of rage, of anger, of bad leadership, losing it in front of the people, God told Moses, you're not going in. And so Moses' whole journey of leading people out in 40 years of wandering, and God said, you're not going in. Instead, what God did is he took Moses up here. This is present-day Jordan. Took up here. Can you see this? It says Mount Nebo. Took Moses up on Mount Nebo. 
You can go there today in Jordan. If we ever go back to Jordan as a mission trip, we've been there twice. You, this is part of the tour. You go up on Mount Nebo, and you look over the sea into Israel. And God took Moses up there and showed him the promised land that he would never go into, but showed him what God was going to do in the promised land. And so Moses dies. Moses dies here, and the torch is going to be now passed on. And so here we are in the story. Um, Let me see if I can get this right. And now we move on to the next person that God passes the torch to. And who is that? That's going to be a guy named Joshua. And so Joshua, right, the Exodus was about 1446, um, 40 years in the wilderness. And so Joshua takes over uh, roughly, you know, 1406-ish. And, and Joshua leads the people, and he's going to lead the people into the promised land. Now, you've got you to understand something. They've been out of the land for 430 years. They're kind of scared to move in. Um, and I want you, I'm, we're going to read Joshua 1.1. I want to read the first nine verses or so. And I want you to hear God's word to God's people about, because I think there's a parallel today about entering into a new season, about a change that's coming, and God knowing the fear that's in people's heart. I want you to catch all of this, what God says through Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, okay? And so I think there's a parallel today. Here we are, Joshua 1, 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people, prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving to the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads. Like what a, what a beautiful word picture God's given. Listen, it's going to take a step of faith, but everywhere your foot leads you, everywhere you step by faith, God goes, I'm going with you and I'm giving it to you. Just as I promised Moses, Your territory, here's one of the like 20 verses that describe the borders of Israel. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Verse 6. Notice how many times he says this. Let's count them. Here's one. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to the fathers to give to them as an inheritance. Verse 7. Above all, what? Be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you will have success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. 
I want you to see this. We're going to talk about this more in like three weeks when we start talking about how did we get this book and how did it come to be and hasn't it been changed as you play Whisper Down the Lane for thousands of years? Hasn't it been changed? And here, I just want you to see early right now that early on the people of God were writing down the words of God. Early on. Here's God telling Joshua don't depart from the things that Moses told you and the things that are written down. Meditate on it day and night. Church, nothing's changed. This is why we're doing our 50-day journey. This is why we're giving you these books. Every day, get up and spend time in God's word. Meditate on it day and night. Reflect on God's word. Hide God's word on your heart. Let it be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, as it says in Psalms. This is... Nothing's changed. Carefully observe everything written in it. For then, then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Verse 9, haven't I commanded you one more time? How many times is this now? Three, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I just feel like these are God's words to us today. In this season of everything's changing, and it feels like we're living in a different land, and it feels like we don't even know what to do. Here's the promise of God. Don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous, church. Be strong and courageous. God is with us. And so fear is not of God. Living in fear, walking in fear, not of God, of the enemy. God's word to his people in the face of opposition is, I'm with you. Be strong. Be courageous. Above all, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. And so Joshua leads the people into the promised land. They move into the promised land. And um, well, let me, let me, how are we doing? All right. Everyone all right? Good? Class? Good? Okay? All right, thank you. Appreciate that. Let me read you a verse, one last thing, and we'll be done. Joshua leads them into the promised land, and, and this, is, this is another takeaway to today. Um, God, told, God told the people of God when they were going in, you need to drive the people out that are living there. All the ites that are living there, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Perivites, the, all the different ites, mosquito bites, right? All the ites that are in there, you got to get rid of all the ites because here's what's going to happen. They are worshiping pagan gods. They're, they're bowing down at the altar of Baal. They're sacrificing their kids on the, Ash, on the altar of Asherah. And so here's what's going to happen. If you don't drive them out, if you don't get rid of them, you're going to move in and your sons and your daughters are going to intermarry with them and you're going to have their gods and you're going to get rid of them all. And the people of God didn't do that. And so as they came into the land... They began to co-mingle, cohabitate with those that followed other gods. And something began to happen that day, is that the, the heart of the people of God became distracted. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're living this. You know what it's like to be in your house trying to follow after God when somebody else in your house, either your spouse or somebody else, has, wants nothing to do with what you're trying to do. The direction you're going is not the direction they're going. It's, it's almost impossible to try and flourish and live life that way. And, and the people of God didn't do that. 
And so Joshua, at the end of his life, he gives this like Braveheart type speech where he's, he knows he's about to die. And it's at the end of Joshua chapter 24. You know it. Um, if you've grown up in church, I know it. We have it stamped on the wall in our dining room. Here's what it is. Joshua 24, 15. It says, Joshua is saying, listen, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river, like when we were down in Egypt, your fathers and your, your grandfathers, they stayed faithful to Yahweh. They stayed true the whole time. You're going to serve the gods of your fathers or are you going to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living, you're now dwelling? And then he says this, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then Joshua dies. And I wish I could tell you that they took Joshua's Braveheart speech to heart. and They're like, all right, come on, we've got to do this. They didn't. And so the book that comes next in the Bible is called Judges. And Judges, I want you to kind of draw this in your, in your books. Judges kind of looks like this. Because here's what happens in the book of Judges. God raises up a leader. It's called a judge. The word judge just means governor, someone who's going to kind of lead. And they led people to follow God. And, and things were good because God's hand was on them. And then they got kind of comfortable. They got kind of relaxed. And they started to slip. And they started to kind of drift away from God. That's what happens. You don't accidentally grow closer to God. You know that? It never, you don't accidentally be holy. It's intentional. You set your mind, your heart. And so they just got comfortable. And they began to slip in. And the, the people they began to intermarry with began to lead them astray. And so God would raise up a foreign oppressor and come in and be on Israel. And they would cry out, oh, God, save us. We're sorry. Help us. God would raise up a judge. And the judge would throw off, through God's power, the foreign oppressor. And the people would be like, yay, thank you, God, and we'll stay close to God. And then they relaxed. And then they started to kind of just drift away. And then God would raise up another foreign oppressor and be like, hey, I need to get your attention. Bring them in. People, God, we, oh, we're sorry. Cry out. God would raise up another judge. And the book of Judges is this. But over time, it just begins to spiral and cycle downward. You begin to read the heading of Judges. A lot of the chapters begin like this. And Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it's filled with crazy stories. It's it, the story of Samson. That story, y'all know that kid's story. Samson was a judge, right? It, it's the story of, of Ehud, who was a left-handed judge, uh, who, who ends up killing a foreign king, and it says he plunged his sword so far into the king's fat that it enveloped the handle, right? It's, it's a crazy story. There's another one that, while the evil king is sleeping, they come and they drive a tent peg through. It's, it's, it would be an amazing movie today, right? The book of Judges. But after the end of the story is the people just start fading away from God. They start looking around at all the other nations. And you know what all the other nations have? A king. And they're like, we don't have a king. And God's like, no, 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 I'm your king. I'm your king. And the people are like, we want a king. And that's where we'll stop and we'll pick up next week. The people wanting a king. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And so what do we do with all this, right? What do we make sure we do is that we just don't learn a bunch of kind of cool Old Testament history 
but I hope that you see that it is very much alive today. God, his truths, his standards. What do you do with the book of Leviticus? All these crazy rules, ceremonial rules, moral rules, civil rules. Here's what you do with Leviticus. God is holy. God is a holy God. That's, what's the theme of Leviticus? How do you sum up that whole book? God's holy. And he calls his people to be holy. How would you sum up the book of Judges? Judges is a picture, a snapshot of what happens when God's people stop following God and God's word. What happens to a culture? What happens to a nation when it turns us back on God and God's word? That's the book of Judges. Sound familiar? We're living in this period of Judges. There's nothing new under the sun, right? And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do before we close in worship. Is I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And we talked about a lot of different stuff today. And I'm just going to ask you to ask God. Say, God, what do you want to say to me about all this? Is there something in me that you want me to know, to be, to change, to do, to start, to stop? Would you just do that just for 30 seconds? God, what are you saying to me about all this? brought to my mind is I am so thankful today that you are so faithful when we are faithless. God, I thank you that my standing with you doesn't depend upon my behavior and performance. That because Jesus' blood is over the doorpost of my life, that I experience your grace and your mercy and your salvation. And that makes me a child of the Most High God. And God, I, I thank you that you're so in control of everything, that you were in control back then, and you're in control today when it seems like everything in our world today is just spinning sideways. God, I thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that you're in control. God, I pray that we would be a church, next community church would be a church that's strong and courageous, that we would not shrink back during this time, but we would have the spirit of Joshua in us, that we would step forward by faith and recognize that every place that we put our foot, you're there with us. And God, I pray that we would be a light into this culture, that we would bring hope and healing and love and truth and Jesus to the world that desperately needs him. Jesus, you're worthy, worthy of all of our praise. And we give that to you right now in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, church. Let's close in worship.